0: And if you can't say no, then not just somebody is the boss of you, but everybody is the boss of you. There was this situation where I got myself into trouble by being completely vulnerable to my own ego. It's making lots of light connections to see then who are really your kindred spirits. But then when you told me that you were a magician, I was like, what?
1: Hey, hey, Brian Miller here, and welcome back to One New Person, the show where we take a closer look at chance encounters to remind ourselves that every interaction is meaningful and every person we meet is important. Today's guest was my chance encounter of a lifetime. Literally, Zoe Chance is a renowned expert in influence and persuasion techniques and an assistant professor of marketing at Yale's School of Management. But my audience knows her best as the I like your hat lady. The story of how I met Zoe is very public, but in case you haven't heard it, here's the short version. We met on a plane sitting next to each other, strangers, when she opened a conversation with me by saying, I like your hat. I had no idea at the time that those four words would change the course of my life forever. I'll leave a link to the full story in the show notes on onenewperson.com, along with tons of related links and bonus resources. But more importantly, the following conversation is bound to be one of the most impactful and meaningful 45 minutes you ever spend. Zoe and I get into the nitty gritty of the power of no, how to say no why to say no, and why saying no may be the most generous thing you can do. We chat in depth about how to influence others in a way where both people come out ahead. And of course, Zoe shares her story of a chance encounter with lasting impact. It's awesome. Oh, and as a bonus, just for you, we finally get to hear her side of the I like your hat story. And yes... It's the first time I heard it as well. So sit back and please enjoy this epic season one finale of One New Person. Zoe, I really appreciate your time.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, and just to set the context, like I I like to do, we are actually sitting in your office at Yale, which makes me feel super fancy. And and I, I can't help but admire the massive wall-mounted bookshelves. This is like I aspire to have that many books just staring at me at all times. It's so exciting. Including so many books that I know and love up there. And do you see
0: your book up there, right? Under Jodini's persuasion.
1: I I do see it now. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. I appreciate that. So I just want to start here. Your website, and I'm gonna I have to read this so I get it right. Your website says you study persuasion and decision making to understand how people can lead happier healthier, and more fulfilling lives. But the course you teach at Yale is called Mastering Influence and Persuasion, which kind of makes it sound like I'm going to be a supervillain con artist when I come out of it. So can you help me understand <laughs> what you what you actually teach and what you actually research?
0: Well, if you want to be a supervillain con artist, Brian, <laughs> you could totally get that from coming to my class. It would <laughs> equip you. If that's your goal. And also, if anyone wants to be a supervillain con artist, I have a lot of faith that you could do it. (laughs) What it is, is a class that the title of it is designed to entice people who want to gain more influence for a variety of reasons. Generous, selfish, Machiavellian, everything in between and... Ultimately, though, the class is a personal development, really do gooder course, hmm. masquerading as um, a sales related course that will appeal to all of the iBankers and consultants at SOM.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So, you, you brought up right away that it's, you use the term do gooder. So, what, if you could have an outcome that you kind of aspire or wish your students whether whatever reason they came in for that you wish they would take away kind of what what is that what what change are you trying to make with that course
0: that this is the reason why i teach the course why i love it and for the mba course that i teach and the exec ed workshops what i want more than anything is to be able to empower whoever comes in with some tools and strategies of basic psychology and of course this is why you and i get along and we love these (laughs) conversations that um to help people understand how other people think so that they can do more good stuff and so they can do better. I love teaching people how to do good and do well. What I find is um, a lot of the people who come in to a class or a workshop and they've really do fall into that classic sort of do-gooder category. Like maybe they came from an NGO. Maybe they're trying to start up some sort of social venture or are just really, really nice. There's this gap between um, what they want to do for the world and what they think they're allowed to have for themselves. And they have this mindset that is, um, I guess it's a A scarcity sort of mindset where if I'm a nice, good person, that entails me never making much money at all and never driving a car that is newer than a decade old Mm. and definitely never sending children to private school. Like maybe I would splurge on an avocado toast, but that's (laughs) like then I would have to go to confession. (laughs) So people who show up being ready to do a lot of good, um, but then also burning themselves out on their do-gooding. I love helping them gain tools of influence so that they can get more resources, more money, more social capital, more help so that they have time to do stuff, more power. And then um, people who show up because they came to business school, because they want to make a lot of money and they want to have a lot of power. And there are plenty of those people and they're not bad. They're just here instrumentally. The course, the MBA course um, has a lot of opportunities to think about the impact that you can have and then we do specific projects that are fundraising and doing favors for people giving gifts to people writing thank you notes Mm. the generosity part of it is baked into the assignments for the class
1: that that generosity component especially the practical application of that that writing thank you notes and uh, that sort of thing. That is something that I feel like some of my mentors and my heroes were telling me when I was first starting my career in magic. But I started young, 16, 17, and I never – I didn't get it then. And boy, oh boy, that's a thing that like some of the younger magicians that I've been mentoring or trying to help, I've been trying to bake into them so early, which is I wish – I understood the power of saying thank you, like in a tactical way, not just saying thank how, you. But how do
0: you teach them about that? Like, what do you tell them to do?
1: It's interesting. The, the thank you note, the, the physical kind of card in the mail, it's, it feels so outdated, right? It, it, it feels like, but because it's so outdated, when's the last time you got a thank you card in the mail? I mean, it, it's. Yesterday. Yesterday, really. Well, so people love you. So. No. <laughs> no, my friend Christy's amazing. Right. Okay. So you have someone in your life who does that. I, I'll, you know, for me, it's probably a handful of times a year. And it was more when I started my career. I used to get thank you cards from clients. And usually you, you think of, I would want to send a thank you card to my client. Even if you do just say thank you, to, remember to say thank you for bringing me into your event. Thank you for bringing me, especially if, like, you know, I tend to work at um, these really intimate, you know, people's 50th birthday parties with just the 15 family members and and then you, and you're a stranger. <laughs> you know, and the fact that they've opened themselves up to invite you into their world for a few hours feels, it's like it's so intimate. I really feel the need to say thank you for trusting me in your world. And so I think that generosity mindset is... Uh, Either it's coming back or it needs to come back in a big way. And I think the people who are doing it are going to win.
0: I totally agree about the people who are doing it winning. And there's a lot of research backing that up too. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you see Adam Grant's Ted or read his book on give and take?
1: I'm a big Adam Grant fanatic. Me too. He's he's
0: fantastic. Um, And the tactical part of generosity operates a lot through reciprocity. Yeah. Right. And so when mm-hmm. people like like you and I and many of our friends meet each other and we recognize that what we're about is seeing what kind of good positive impact can we create on the world? And then when we help each other, we're just multiplying that positive impact, right? And you and I are also mm-hmm. not going to um just be these self-sacrificing martyrs, right? right?
1: That's that that's i think the hardest thing i think that goes back to what you were talking about earlier which is the 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 kind of really good uh, students that come into your course i think teaching them that they can get more without just being a doormat
0: yes Yeah. yeah our first challenge actually is saying no for 24 hours
1: okay So that is so funny. I I had a question about that scheduled kind of for the end of our conversation. But since you just went there, let me just, we're we're on the same wavelength here. You, because I know you personally and not just professionally, I know that you made last year and this year kind of your year or so of, of no, uh, you kind of publicly, you put that out on your... I had
0: November. It was one month.
1: November. Okay. But
0: November
1: was okay. a thing. Yeah. So you had a month. <laughs> so everyone else was not shaving. You were saying no. <laughs> what is the power of no?
0: It's really... I love that question. It's really hard to imagine um, what the power of no is that's anything different from the power of yes mm-hmm. and that's anything different from power. It's the ability to take your life and decide what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And if you can't say no, then not just somebody is the boss of you, but everybody is the boss of you. So being able to say no to me is saying I am the boss of myself. And by saying no, I get to decide what I say yes to. And I completely agree and have parallel experiences with you where I work with corporate clients and those jobs and working here. I love my job at SOM and it's great working in a business school. And then I get to, say, go and um, teach last week some people who are working on climate change. And I didn't even want to ask them for their budget to have me come out and teach them influence. I just want them to use my Time and expertise and all of their resources to just go save the world.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess that gets to the question I wanted to follow up with, which is then how do you reconcile that power of saying no and, and choosing for yourself what your life is with the mindset of generosity? How do you how do you do those two things at the same time?
0: Yeah, that's so um, so perceptive that this is a, a paradox yeah. and a thing that comes up immediately when I'm teaching influence and also because we start with saying no. Um, the, the reason even more why we start with this challenge than the obvious thing that I teach all of these really nice people and they really need to say no in order to be able to actually accomplish the things that they want to do is that um, when we are uncomfortable saying no I find this just maps out to being uncomfortable having other people say no to us. Mm-hmm. So when I'm teaching influence, in order to be influential and have other people wanting to say yes, they actually have to feel comfortable saying no. And that means we have to feel comfortable. Like if you're going to ask somebody for something, you can't pressure them because then they their inner two-year-old is like, you're not the boss of me. And they have all this resistance, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so if you... Anytime, definitely. Anytime you've ever asked me for anything or invited me to do anything, there's always zero pressure. and just like, hey, like here's this idea. Like, what do you think? You know, would you like to? And I feel a hundred percent just invited to do whatever is good for me. Right? You're like,
1: I'm, I'm very grateful. We'll be that friends,
0: you're- if I say yeah. no, like there's, it's never yeah. a problem. Yeah. And so I'm always like, yes, <laughs> whatever you have going on. You have a podcast? Yes, let's do it. Well, right.
1: no, I, and, I, and I really am grateful for that because I, I, I went through, you know, we kind of paralleled last year. Last year I, I burnt out. I finally hit it. I really hit the wall. And I, and uh, kind of beginning of last year, the year previous so probably 2017, that year was the busiest and at the time most successful year of my life, my career, being self-employed, as two tend to be the same And I made more money than I had ever imagined. The the sixteen year old that says, "I wonder if I can make money doing card tricks." Uh, It was bananas, and I was miserable the whole year.
0: Was that when you were writing, also, or that was?
1: I was in the middle. I started the book. That's why the book took three years because I was I was I didn't know how to say no to anything, and I kept saying yes because I couldn't believe I was getting so many opportunities. Mm. And I remembered, not so long ago, when. I sat at home all day just wishing the phone was ringing. So I was just saying yes to everything. And I wasn't able to spend the time doing the the projects I cared about as well as I knew I was capable of doing it. I just had to do them all good enough, right? I knew I couldn't give 150% to any one project. And so I was just kind of doing everything at 95%. Which I guess maybe for some people was enough, but for me was like I know I could do each of these five percent better than I'm doing, and it. it was dragging me down. So last and probably year,
0: other people were totally stoked with what they got from you, but you, it sounds yeah, like it felt rev- crappy for you.
1: Yeah, the reviews kept. I kept reaching out to my kind of team, my agents and stuff, like, hey, did you hear from that gig? Like, where they had? Oh yeah, they were thrilled. They loved it. They did this. Yeah. I'm like, all right. Well, I'm glad they enjoyed it, but. Uh, I was getting frustrated with my own work and the quality of my own work. And that's not a good place to be in. And so I knew I wanted to finish my book. And so last year, beginning of 2018, I just said no for like three months to every you inquiry. Did? I did. I turned I did down. Um, I It was incredibly stressful turning down that much money. Self-employed. Don't know if I'm going to. What if saying no to all these opportunities means no one ever calls me again. But I had to carve out time to do the thing that mattered to me. And I knew that the book was going to have, hopefully, was going to have a longer tail that I, if I could get it out, then I could use that to continue the the thing that I cared about, right, to push that message further and further. So it was like saying no was the most generous thing I could do because it meant I could finish my book and the projects yeah. that I actually cared about. And now the clients I serve are all better off for the fact that I did that. Right. But I didn't feel like I could be both at the same time. I felt like I had to be selfish for a little while so I could be generous later.
0: Did you regret any of the no's that you said?
1: No, I didn't think about it. I no, I, I no, because I decided once you say no, you can't think about it again. You can't you can't say no and then second guess it. That's that's a recipe for disaster, or at least that's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. That if you second guess that once you make a decision, just move forward. Because if can otherwise, yeah. Can ahead. I
0: ask you about that? Because. I've always thought of it as if you said yes and then change your mind to no, that's really uncomfortable for the other person because they've been counting on you. But if you said no and then you change your mind like, oh, hey, wait a second. Actually, yes, that that's a kind thing and you might have lost your chance, but um, that it's not bad to go that direction.
1: No, it's not bad to say. I mean, it's better to say no and then later go, actually, if you're still open, I I would like to do this. Once I said yes to something, then I was committed. I was in. So you're
0: just committed either way. Yeah, and yeah. so
1: that happened to me a bunch of times in 2017. I had said yes to something and had forgotten about it on my calendar until it rolled around, and then I was in the middle of like you know 60 dates in four months and going, oh, I don't have time to customize this. Thing. Like I don't. Oh no, now what? <laughs> you know.
0: You had 60 in four months.
1: Yeah. Traveling. Well, around. by the time I ended, yeah, by the oh, by the. The, the, the last year that I did this crazy calendar, I did almost 300 live events. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that, yeah. So that was that. Was that. <laughs> you split your time between, I guess, teaching, researching, and and speaking professionally as well, which is related to teaching, but a different sort of thing. Do you feel more at home in any one of those areas?
0: Um, yeah, I'm, and I'm in the process of renegotiating my contract and figuring out um, what my role is going to be at Yale. And it's going to be giving me more flexibility to do stuff outside of Yale. So keeping teaching here. And um, I'm writing this book that's taking me forever. I would
1: love to talk about the book at some point.
0: um, But it's not done. There's (laughs) only a little bit to talk about anyway. And doing professional speaking and then just other consulting type projects Mm -hmm. that I get super excited about. And I would say the thing I'm focusing most on is the thing that is the least comfortable, which is the book part of it. Because Mm -hmm. to me, like you were saying, um, that you needed to just carve out time, work on this thing so that in the end you get to have the impact that you want. So for me, the book project is that. And then I'll be working on an online course where I want to be able to reach and help out and connect with as many people as possible. And me being in a room here at Yale or speaking, it's just a very limited number. So that's why I'm working on those broader projects, but it's a big learning curve for sure
1: so funny the parallels in our lives that's the first time i heard that you were working on an online course i'm working on my first online course this year too and and for exactly the same reasons as i finally realized even if i have 500 people in front of me even if i have 2000 people in front of me which f- that in itself feels like woodstock as a speaker you can't possibly that just being on stage there's nothing that replicates being on stage live with an audience okay so i'm going to leave that there i never want to leave that because I feel like the impact I can make when I can see their faces and and react to the feel of the room, is irreplaceable online. Having said that, the amount, the, simply the quantity of impact you can make online, even if it's like. Ninety-nine percent of the quality of a live presentation is just—it's—it's it's massive. You know, if right. you have something that you—even if to put it's
0: ten percent, the quality. Sure, of <laughs> a, no, that's—that's that's true. That's yeah. true. Even if yeah. you can
1: say something that just gets somebody on the other side of the world that never would have been able to be in the room with you, thinking a little bit differently about their work, you've made a big impact. Because right. I've had people do that for me from all over the world that I'll probably never meet. I hope I will, but right. you know, just people whose work from afar has changed. My life or my perspective or my 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 work my income you know the book do you have a tentative title
0: I have a working title right now but I really want to change it um, and then if I say the working title and I hate it but that's how it actually comes out I'm just gonna pause here the topic of the book is influence for nice people i don't know what the title is going to be Mm. if that's going to be the title or if it's going to be something more um juicy or exciting sounds like a subtitle um yeah 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 Yeah. and it it, it's my agent's title Mm. my agent allison is canadian and it's this perfectly canadian (laughs) title i love her right i think it'd be a bestseller in canada
1: oh man that's (laughs) that's so funny you could uh you could sell it in tim horton's Um, Yeah, so I don't
0: know the title, but that's the topic. It's the science of doing good and doing well with challenges to go out and be putting these tools into practice. There are a lot of really transactional influence techniques. Mm. Um, And like, for example, in Bob Cialdini's classic Bible of influence called Influence, and it's sold, I don't know, 80 kajillion copies (laughs) since the 1980s. It's brilliant. And... Um, very transactional. So these are levers that you can pull or push and get somebody to do something in response to your stimulus in that moment. Mm. But they don't work well in ongoing relationships. Got it. So like with you you and Lindsay, like you guys influence each other all the time, Mm. but you're not going to use a scarcity ploy.
1: No, no, that would be (laughs) ridiculous because I still have to see her tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So as I started teaching this stuff here, and i was creating this class and then increasingly students and and executives who are saying like okay okay that's fine i got that but like actually i manage a team and my team is going to quit <laughs> or my yeah. husband is going to divorce me <laughs> you know yeah. and the kinds of influence techniques that are comfortable to use in our personal relationships and collaborations are different from these transactional got
1: techniques it yeah okay, so that uh, that's 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 the niche is is finding ways to do use influence, use persuasion techniques that um, correct me if I'm wrong that that bring a group together long term longer term to 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 produce positive yeah effects as opposed yeah. to just getting something in the moment
0: right. and so yeah. even if you know we're negotiating a business deal and there's money moving around. And even if it's a zero-sum game where Mm -hmm. it's a price of something Mm -hmm. that you and I are going to negotiate, everything more for you is everything less for me. Mm -hmm. We can do this in a way that both of us will still feel like doing another deal again together in the future.
1: Okay. So that, that makes me think of Steve Jobs' It always makes me wonder because, you know, I, I so respect and obsess over the innovation aspect of, you know, he single-handedly innovated like six different industries. But people who worked with him, they have this contradictory – they all say the same thing. They say, I did the best work I've ever done in my life and I hated myself that whole time or I hated him or I hated the work. You know, where does that fit into what you're trying to teach? Like he, he got his teams to revolutionize the world but made everybody hate him in the process.
0: There's actually a Steve Jobs story that I teach when I'm teaching one of these techniques that's called using standards. And the psychology behind it is that people are influenced by their own standards. Mm. So if you can find out what someone else's standards or ideals for themselves and their identity and their behavior are, then if there's a gap, there's huge cognitive dissonance that kicks in where they have to either change their belief or they have to change their behavior, right? And mm-hmm. Steve Jobs, there's this um, a video that you can find online where John Scully is being interviewed on TV about how Steve Jobs recruited him to Apple.
1: Here, Zoe is talking about John Scully, the former president of Pepsi turned Apple CEO. And
0: uh, maybe you have seen this. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm a yeah. Steve
1: Jobs junkie, okay. yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so for anyone who hasn't seen this video, Scully is saying how... When Steve Jobs is trying to recruit him, it's hard for me to even imagine back in the 80s when Apple's this four-year-old computer company started in a garage. John Scully's the CEO of Pepsi. It's a billion-dollar company. He's the the boss man. And upstart Steve Jobs is like, hey, dude, you should come and run my little thing, right? So John Scully says no. John Scully says no again. And then as he describes it, Steve Jobs comes back and he asks him a third time and he says do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life, John, or do you want to come with me and change the world? And it's so memorable, right? And what John Scully says is, he he goes, I gulped and I knew I was going to wonder for the rest of my life what would have happened if I said no. And the reason that we discuss this is the psychology of it is really clear, That John Scully is a leader who's motivated by the good that he can do. And when Steve Jobs puts this label on it, labels are super powerful when they're true. And the label that he puts on Scully's job of selling sugar water is totally true. That's what Scully is doing, you know, with the flourish Mm -hmm. of for the rest of your life. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, But. When Steve Jobs did that to John Scully, he poisoned John Scully's job forever. Right. And that's one of the many, many examples of what you said. He got people to do great things but at the cost of hating themselves. Yeah. So this is presented as this inspirational pitch of, like, come with me and change the world. But he was really twisting the knife in Scully's gut and saying you have to come with me or hate yourself
1: forever. Not to put you on a quick thinking spot, but, you know.
0: But to do that. any people always but, do it when they say not to do this.
1: But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to do it anyway. <laughs> but I'm totally going to do it. I just said not to do. Um,
0: no if, offense, but you go, yeah. you're really <laughs> right. ugly and fat. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: what was I going to say? Oh, um, if you could rewrite that conversation... And have Jobs still get Scully to come over, but not in a way that makes him hate himself. How would you how would you teach a student to have that conversation? What would you say instead to, to bring them over?
0: Well, that's presupposing that Scully should come over, and that's actually where Steve Jobs and I diverge. Mm-hmm. The whole problem with that scenario to me is that he was coming back in this high pressure pitch after. John Scully, who should be the master of himself, has said no, and he has said no again and it's not that there's anything wrong with asking after somebody says no right mm-hmm. but there's something wrong with pressuring someone after they've said no
1: got it so maybe and uh, you know you'll you'll tell me if I'm wrong here, but maybe the answer then would have been that jobs ought to have not been asking Scully but asking a different CEO who's core value is aligned better with Jobs.
0: Yeah, and we don't actually know that Scully was instrumental in the world changing because Steve Jobs is the guy who went down in history with all of the glory about it.
1: The whole purpose of this show is chance encounters and the lasting impact. All of my, I don't know, fans, subscribers, followers, anybody who's ever seen me give a live speech in the last couple of years or has read my book knows how meeting you uh, just by a fluke you know, so dramatically impacted and changed the course of my life for the better. And I'm so excited that I actually get to give you an opportunity to talk about someone who may have impacted you in in, in a way. So uh, do you have a story that comes to mind of someone you kind of randomly met out there in the world that really made an impact on you?
0: There was this situation where I got myself into trouble by being completely vulnerable to my own ego when I was first invited to speak. So I had given a lot of talks at academic conferences, but nobody was reaching out to me when I was a postdoc and saying, like, hey, postdoc, chance, we need you. And this industry conference, it was health and wellness, HR sector conference, asked me to come and present some work that I had done um, with a health insurance company on helping people make healthier choices using behavioral economics. So this was an ask that was flattering, and I was glad to say yes and go talk to real people and have the possibility of having the work I was doing in academia actually potentially nudge the needle in the real world. That was fine. But then they said, um, by the way, we want you to give a 75-minute workshop, which for me was a lot because I had zero material. And we love, love, love you so much, Dr. Chance. You are such a genius that what we thought would be really great is if you would teach another 75-minute workshop on um, social influences on health. And I was like, oh, who, me? Oh, shucks. Sure. And then it's like, you know, and that's six months in the future, it's a week or two before. And Brian, like, you know, I think, that I don't know anything about social influences on health. I know (laughs) nothing, literally nothing. I had read a book by Nick Christakis, who's now my colleague here, it's called Connected. Anyone who wants to know about social influences on health, this is the book you should read, Um, (laughs) but that was all. So I'm talking to my coach, Mandy, who's my compass, And I'm complaining that I'm going to have to spend probably 40 hours preparing to give these two sessions and learn the things that I don't know. And her magic question for me is always, what would it take? And she said, okay, first of all, Zoe, what's your outcome for the conference? And then we'll figure out what it would take. And I was like, oh, my God. I should have said no. I wish I could say no. Can you say no? No. Because I'm in the program, like it would be a super jerk move. I have to go. And I was like, I guess I'll just fulfill my obligation, which is the worst outcome. She's like, okay, let's have a better one. (laughs) What else could it be? And so I said, like, you know, what would be motivating for me to spend these 40 hours? I guess it's industry people. What I really need is an academic job. They can't do that, but potentially some amount of consulting could come out of it and she gets very specific like okay what's an amount what's a number and I said um, it can't be something that takes over my whole entire life but something that's a lot of money like let's say like fifty thousand dollars and she's like all right what would it take for you to get fifty thousand dollars out of this and I said um, oh my god well I don't have business cards so (laughs) I placed a rush (laughs) order for business cards and then I I don't need to bore you with all of the steps of preparation. But what I had been planning to do to prepare for this was it wasn't going to get $50,000 of consulting because it wasn't going to actually serve anyone for me to show up just trying to fulfill this stupid obligation. Mm -hmm. So I figured out how I could deliver as much value as possible and find out what would be useful for people to know like during this time that they spent with me. And so I ended up giving these workshops. They went great. But after the first one, <laughs> I still hadn't finished preparing for the second one. I had a lot more work. And this woman stops me in the hallway and she's like, Zoe Chance, we need to have breakfast. My name is Michelle. I'm from Google. I loved your talk. And I was like, bye-bye, bye. I got to go. I <laughs> I need to prepare for my second talk. And then I'm walking down the hallway and this was where I changed my mind after having said no. And the thing went off in my mind that's like, oh, yeah, that's right. What was your outcome? It was consulting. She said, Google. Google maybe needs consulting. Mm. And, um, and I turned around and I was like, wait a second, Michelle. Yeah, totally, let's have breakfast. So we had breakfast. And then from that moment of, so I should have said no, but I didn't. I followed through <laughs> in trying to turn something good out of it. And then I said no when I shouldn't have. But I got to change my mind where there's no way that Zoe and Michelle should have ended up having breakfast that day. But what came out of it ultimately was a six-year-long collaboration between not just Zoe and Michelle, but Yale and Google, and we Got to have research publications jointly with her colleagues and my colleagues. We got to have students doing consulting projects and students getting jobs out of it. Michelle and I published with our colleagues in Harvard Business Review, and our behavioral economics framework that I created with my colleague Ravi Dar here at Yale was used at Google to form their food guidelines to help these people make healthy choices. And Michelle is my good friend, and we went to San Diego together after she left that job to go to another job at google and like you like she's <laughs> she's my real kindred spirit um that randomly we connected and it's there are all of these random meetings that you have with people that usually they don't go anywhere mm-hmm. but then there's certain people that you're on the same wavelength and you have similar values and similar goals right
1: yeah that's
0: and those just yeah they can light you up and last for a really long time When I share this story in class, it's as I'm teaching this negotiations framework for preparing when there's some opportunity Mm. that you ask yourself these value creation questions. And this is part of the the doing good and doing well stuff where you ask, how could it be even better for me and how could it be even better for them and who else could benefit? Mm. And, you know, I won't go through the full debrief of all of that, but it was starting with a small opportunity for Michelle and me to work together and then just blowing it entirely out of proportion to benefit as many people as we could.
1: I think way more of our daily interactions could go like that if we were open to it. And I think we're mostly not, even though I spend my life kind of Preaching it and talking about it, writing about it. I'm sure and we, I'm, you and
0: I are just saying no to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, "Hey, you want to connect, Brian? No. Hey, you want to nope. connect do No." Nope.
1: Well, that well, actually, that I that I did kind of uh, I don't want to say screw myself, but being the guy who made human connection uh, their expertise, every time <laughs> yeah. someone's like, "You want to get a coffee?" i can't be like, "No," and also buy my book. You know, <laughs> like, I do. I kind of ended up taking way more calls and coffees than I probably should be. Um, but having said that simply being open you you just wonder like how many even just of the transactional interactions the here's a couple bucks can be a cup of coffee even that you have no idea if you had been present or if you had not had your headphones on that day or if you had right that things like that we could be like 90 percent of the time more present with people and more more open for sure yeah yeah
0: can, can we yeah. just? Like, can yeah. I just talk about when you and I met at our chance?
1: Please, because I'm guessing your end of it was very different from mine. I would love to hear this.
0: <laughs> it was so funny um, hearing you talk about talk about this and read about it and like your side of being grumpy, tired, whatever. <laughs> like hat on, I was headphones in such on. Such a bad mood that day. And. um, And I'm just, like, hanging out at the airport. Oh, my God.
1: Here, Zoe had a shocking realization.
0: Was that?
1: Honestly, I thought she'd seen a ghost.
0: No way. That was when I was on my way to the conference that I was just talking about.
1: Oh, serious? Yeah. Are you you serious? totally serious. That is so crazy. Oh, my
0: God. That's so (laughs) funny. (laughs) Okay. That that was, like, the best week of my life. Um, (laughs) That's crazy. That's so funny. So, anyway, um, I'm all prepared like prepared to be in a good mood for that conference, I guess, (laughs) because Mandy had helped me with that. And, um, you know, you're just waiting around at the airport and there's just all of humanity at the airport. And I just noticed like the dude in the cool hat and it's early in the morning. And not only does nobody wear cool hats and decent, like whatever you were wearing was like nice looking clothes. And this, you looked like this hipster going to some like Brooklyn club where they might play dance klezmer music within some electronic beat and um totally noticeable and but like I'm not going to bother you in line being like hey I'm a creep we should be friends right (laughs) and I definitely didn't like feel like we should be friends just because you had a cool hat um yeah but when when we sat together I was like oh that's the guy with the hat fun hi guy with a hat but then and and you were just like you were chill and I definitely didn't want to bother you but like you know we're I was expecting to talk to you for 30 seconds and then um we each do our thing and I prepare I guess for my conference talk yeah right and um and but then when you told me that you were a magician I was like what because you you finally believed me, believed me, belatedly believed me, but I'm a huge magic fan. Mm-hmm. And um, we talked about Darren Brown, and you could tell that I was a magic fan because Americans who aren't magicians, they don't know about Darren Brown. Yeah. The right?
1: second you said Darren Brown, I was like, oh, you're actually a magic fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: and, um, and this is why I, I ended up eventually having you come when you finally said yes to come and perform here at Yale and why we connected, that the reason that I love magic is that I have had no other experiences in my whole life of being this huge fan of influence and persuasion, right, of human beings who have mastered this to such a degree and taking so much intention and so much practice Mm -hmm. to understand human psychology of there's perspective taking and there is this transactional how to elicit a reaction, but there's also this the magic is in the willing complicity mm-hmm. of the person in the audience to be fooled and mm-hmm. deceived. And it's just this whole level of what looks like it's going on, isn't going on, and you're in it, say you're doing sleight of hand or something like this, reading my mind and predicting where my mind is going to go so that you've set up this thing where you're distracting me where I'm looking where I'm supposed to look but not where the real thing is going on and you have this pattern that is taking a different direction than attention so anyway yeah i was so stoked and then you said that you were a mathematician and a philosopher <laughs> and you're delivering this lecture on the wizard of oz you remember
1: Oh, that's that's right. That's what it that's what it was when you came. Like, when you oh, came I here.
0: speak at academic institutions. Yeah. So the the connection of I was super excited when we met because I got to sit next to a magician and ask magic questions and talk about psychology and the, the overlap between psychology and influence and magic. Right. You were clearly the person like not just out of everybody at the airport, but everybody in the state that I would have. Connected with most and been most excited to sit with. And obviously, we're friends many years later, and we've done a bunch of fun stuff together. I think that that, and the same thing with Michelle, my friend from Google, who I adore, it's making lots of light connections to see then who are really your kindred spirits that you're going to have an o- a lot of overlap with, and with you and with Michelle. In these relationships, we've gotten to have the blessing of overlapping professional and personal relationships, right? And that's just rare. Like that's going to be rare, yeah. but we can have lots more sweetness with lots of people that we meet all the time.
1: It's so funny that that you were so excited. I thought I I, I was just the whole flight that we were talking, and we talked for literally the entire flight, yeah. touchdown like or like, take off to touchdown. I just remember thinking, "Don't say anything stupid." This is a very, very smart person from Yale. <laughs> just don't, <laughs> t- t- just don't make a fool of <laughs> yourself, Miller. You know, and uh, when you said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, whatever, I, I just, uh, I, I really thought I was never gonna. I just, I, what are the odds that I ever hear from someone like you? Like you were a Yale professor, I was just some magician. Like that's how I felt, and uh, the fact that you stayed in touch uh, has been one of the, you know, that we've become and friends. I brought Ripley and, to your show. You did. As well as you yeah. Did uh, that that, awesome. that we've become uh, friends, besides kind of occasional colleagues and co-conspirators, and whatever else has been just such a, one of the just true blessings in my life. So I really, too. really Great appreciate it. Right.
0: Yeah. Thank, thank you, you for
1: taking the time. Thank you for saying yes to this. <laughs> and I will. Uh, I'll let you get back to your very busy schedule.
0: <laughs> Love you, man.
1: Before you go down the persuasion rabbit hole that is the modern business section of Barnes & Noble, here are a few takeaways from this episode. First, we don't have the power to say yes unless we have the right to say no. Saying no is not selfish. We're of no use to anyone if we're not masters of ourselves. Say no early and often. It's generous. Second, influence for the sake of short-term gain simply doesn't work in the connection economy there are no more one-off relationships and gaining a reputation as someone who twists arms to get their way is going to find themselves very lonely very quickly and finally when faced with an opportunity ask yourself what would it take specifically how could this opportunity be even better for me even better for you and who else could benefit? Nothing happens in isolation. And as we know, positive impact ripples. Head to onenewperson.com and check the show notes for related links and additional resources. Follow Zoe on Twitter at ZoeBChance. That's Z-O-E, B is in boy, Chance. For all things influence. We're taking a one month break from interviews before launching season two, but I'm going to release a few special episodes in June, dissecting the first season for themes and patterns that we can all learn from. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes or via Google Podcasts. Submit questions from any episode to one new person podcast at gmail.com for future Q&A sessions. I'm Brian Miller. This is One New Person, and we'll see you next time.